On this episode of Resi Week, Panasonic announces that they are ending the production of their flat panels. Do incentives work for getting you to sell new products? And the future of audio in virtual reality. All that and more next on Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 18, recorded Tuesday, May 31st, 2016. Bye bye, Panasonic. Resi Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like FSR. Hey, this is Matt, and you are with us live for Resi Week. This is the residential version of AV Nation's AV Week, and uh, I've got my good friend Tim Albright with me today. Because uh, no one else Hello. likes me. Nobody else likes you. Who's that? Like me. We, <laughs> we've gone through our Rolodex of people that sort of like me, and they all said no. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just the two of us. But, but I it's like going to be a good way I'm here. I know, and I pay you for that, but it's not that expensive. It's worth it. <laughs> it's um, but, anyways, we're going to talk about a couple of things that are. Uh, you know, really making uh, some news this week in the residential market. And we're going to kick it off with something that I saw come across my Twitter feed uh, early this morning and uh, proceeded to retweet it out. And it's a really interesting, interesting thing. I'm going to bring it up for us right here. There we go. Uh, it is showing that Panasonic, as reported by routers, uh, is going to stop making TVs. This will leave Sharp. Uh, as the last sole Japanese TV manufacturer. Um, this is a, a bit of a big deal, but not overly surprising as we know they've they've had some troubles being profitable the last couple of years. And the biggest thing that got me was this little line right here in the article where it says that uh, their main production plant, which started production in 2010, has not logged a profit. Uh, Tim, what is what does this mean as a whole? What does this mean for Panasonic? What does this mean for residential integrators who used to love Panasonic panels? It's a sad day. I mean, I, I remember um, what was it four years ago, five years ago? Pioneer uh, was one mm -hmm. of the first ones to drop out, uh, and Pioneer and Panasonic were kind of neck and neck for a couple of years back in the in the plasma days, right when yep. it was the blackest black, because it was the color, the deepest colors. Um, and then suddenly, you know, Pioneer's like, um, yeah, see you guys, we're out of here. Um, and, and now you look at um, that Panasonic's getting out, and it's 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 one less um, yeah. line for folks like you and, and you know, our, our, our residential guys that, that do this to offer their clients. Now, some people will, will argue that, well, folks are getting their stuff from Best Buy and from Amazon anyway. There, there are arguments there, right? And and there are there are reasons to to spec commercial displays for uh, for residential homes. Um, there's longevity, there's quality, yeah. there's control, which is my favorite subject. Um, yeah. So I think it actually it, it sucks for the residential, and I think it sucks for the for the home market because it's it's one less player, you know, to now, to offer. Now, where I find it to be a little. Uh, interest, interesting in the article in general. Uh, they state further down, kind of below the fold, that some of the panels that Panasonic's currently selling 
um, are using panels. So essentially the, the TVs they're selling are using panels from LG, uh, one of their rivals. So they're OEMing so, those. Yeah, so they're OEMing those. So this is where this article is a little confusing because it also mentioned at the top uh, that Sharp's its competitor. Yet Sharp no longer makes displays. They've sold that name to Hisense. Uh, which is, I believe, a Chinese manufacturer. Um, well, so, no, they, they didn't just sell the name. I mean, they sold everything to Foxconn. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. So they don't, uh, technically sharp as we know it, doesn't exist in the display market uh, as far as a single piece display. So I'm curious to see down the road if this will uh, be sort of the same deal with Panasonic, if they're going to keep OEMing things under the Panasonic brand using different components or if they're going to completely be out of if that panasonic line is going to disappear completely because the the article isn't really clear on that yeah the other thing i want to i'm gonna be curious about is what this does to japan as as a technology um haven right um this was the i could be wrong about this but this was the last japanese display manufacturer of any of any mm -hmm. significance right yep. uh, the, with the sale of sharp um that took, you know, a, a Japanese name and a Japanese company and put it in the, in the hands of Hisense you know, slash Foxconn. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was a big, there was a lot of, of hoo-ha made about that sale because the Japanese government actually tried to buy Sharp to save yes. a Japanese company, right? And there's a lot right. of pride and, and honor uh, in the Japanese business culture. This, this one, it doesn't even seem like anybody tried to save, anybody tried to save this line. Now, the difference between Sharp and, and Panasonic is, um, Panasonic's not going away, right? Nobody's selling no. Panasonic. Panasonic is just is just saying, "Hey, we're 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 no longer doing displays." Sharp well, was, we're going bankrupt, we're going under. Somebody's got to buy us. But is this not even more so? Just the, I guess, the corporate manufacturing world taking notice to something that we as integrators have known for a long time that there's no money in displays. <laughs> we don't care about. We don't care about the theater room. We don't care about everything else in terms of the display. We care about everything else that goes into that room. Sorry, I said that a little backwards um, or, or convoluted. We care about what goes into that theater room. We could care less what you're using to watch the content that we're, we're throwing up there. But why is that? Because, it, I mean, yes, there, there are people that say, you know, without good audio, you don't have good video. And I would agree with that. You've got stuff like mm -hmm. Dolby Atmos, which is, oh, my gosh, 3D, right? It's, it's not even... I, surround sound I would 3d sound but you yeah. gotta have a good picture don't you you do and and i don't think it's that we're saying that we don't care about the picture i think it's we don't care about that device it's become okay. so commoditized commoditized so <sighs> inconsequential in the, the the realm of the entire product that like i know when when i do it uh and, and when we're designing systems yeah, we, we care about the display and we care about the quality and everything else. But for whatever reason, the client will take all of our advice on speakers, processors, cables, interconnects, control. But when it comes to the display, they care about whatever they've read online or whatever they saw at Best Buy or, or Costco or Sam's Club or, or whatever big box store there is. They just don't seem to care about AR opinion. Uh, and B, whether we can source that product for them or not. Really? Like it just, yeah. It, it's so getting really, it from you has no consequence at all? Not at all. Okay. No. And, and you know, there's, way that, there's ways that we as integrators usually will 
try to combat that so that we're not, you know, price matching a Black Friday or a Boxing Day up in Canada uh, sales event. But the bottom line is, like, we just did a really small one for a for a client of ours. Our the budget was under five k for this little entertainment space for their their sons, and I was shocked because we actually sold a not a flagship but a a mid high range uh, Samsung seven uh, sixty inch display. It shocked me that we could sell that because we sell those panels at retail. We don't discount those. We sell them at retail, and if you don't want it, then go buy it wherever the heck you want to buy it. And then when you're there's a problem, it's not ours. Yeah, you know it allows us to wipe our hands. But traditionally, panels just don't they don't seem to matter. Hmm. I, it's which, an interesting... which, may, which may be why Panasonic's getting out of the business. Well, and, and that's the thing is this is like I hate to say it, but when Sharp went out, it wasn't shocking. Uh, especially from a resi standpoint, we kind of expected that because there was no way when everybody else was selling and, and making panels in that size landscape that they were, when they were selling those at half the price of everybody else, you kind of had to look at that and go, okay, something's wrong with this business model. There's no way in this global economy that they can sell those panels at that price and still make a profit. Yeah. And two years later, we realized that they couldn't because they had to sell it because they went bankrupt, <laughs> for lack of a better term on it. But this is Panasonic. You know, again, this isn't this isn't Pioneer who had a smaller distribution chain and a smaller company as a whole. This is Panasonic. They but, are but one a, of the but a better but a better product altogether. Oh yeah, a better product altogether, a better channel, a like they. I'm not going to say they own Pro Video. But they're one of the major players in pro and production video. Um, this is a big deal, and and I'm a little surprised at how little uh, notice this is is got across the the industry so far today. Now, the one thing it didn't it doesn't mention is is what Panasonic is doing with their projector line, right? Um, right. A couple of years ago, people may or may not remember this: the fact that that they purchased Sanyo, right? Mm-hmm. Which in in the the education market where I came from. Um, that was Sanyo was like the it was Sanyo and Epson for a long time. Uh, yep. Sony had a little bit in there. Panasonic had a little bit in there. Uh, Iki um, or Iki depends on how you say it. Um, I've heard it both ways. Both both ways. Uh, but Sanyo <laughs> Sanyo was a huge one. Um, and then Panasonic went and, and purchased them up. So it doesn't say what they're doing with the with the projector. Yeah, it's a. It'll be interesting to see. I don't expect a lot of change to happen there. Um. But who knows? It, it, it's I, I can honestly say I never thought I'd see Panasonic as a display manufacturer stop making displays. It was it, it's unexpected. All right, so let's move on from that one because otherwise we'll we'll talk about that the whole show. We're gonna welcome in our good friend Stephen, who is late to the party. But Hello, he's late to the Joe. party with us. <laughs> Uh, so we will kick off this uh, next story, and I will throw it to Stephen. Uh, Legrand, who has kind of been on a purchasing run as of late, just uh, announced, or I'm just trying to get the screen share up to work, they have announced that they are doing a cash rewards program for dealers on the new Nuvo line. Uh, this comes to us from our friends over at Resi Systems. Um this is one of those fun, fun little things. 
do dealers care if if they get a an incentive, a cash incentive? I know I just uh, we just started a promotion from uh, another multi room audio company that you know I don't know we're running it. I'll I'll see how it goes, but. This is one where they've launched this new uh, incentive program. If you register with them, uh, you get rebates towards uh, in-ceiling and in-wall speakers via a reloadable Visa debit card. Um, Steven, does this, is this something that appeals to you? Is this something that you guys would take advantage of? Well, I don't know. The thing is, is as a business owner, you want the best deal that you can get. If there's a rebate, you want the rebate. If there's, you know, if there's a better price, you want a better price. I, mean, I don't believe in beating up your distributors over price. I mean, basically, if you're beating up the people selling you product, it's because you're not selling it properly to your client. So, yeah, does this necessarily um, require you to beat up your? Like, this is coming from the manufacturer. They're offering you yeah. cash money to sell their product. Yeah, and, and that's what I was saying. I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing that they're giving you cash money to sell the product, but, um, you know, it, it's, I don't know. So several companies do this, and it hasn't made me want to sell those companies' products any more or less. Uh, Sony does it, LG does it, uh, Origin does it to an extent. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of companies that do this. So what I say is, if, if the company wants to pay me to give me money to sell their product, basically that just decreases my cost of the product. So yes, I, I don't. What worries me is when companies say that it's a promotional thing. So <laughs> you get in and you get started. See, with LG and Sony and other brands, it's permanent. You know, you buy so much and you get a discount. You buy a little more, you get a deeper discount. With LG and Sony, you get your reward right then. It comes right off the price of the product. You don't have to wait on a return. And also with LG, there are spiffs a lot of people don't know about, where if you sell certain TVs of theirs, they will send you a debit card. They will load a prepaid card for you with hundreds and hundreds of dollars for these TVs. So it's nice. It's always a nice thing. And I think it'll help people make money, but if it's a temporary thing, that to me sounds like, oh, start selling our speakers, make it part of your company, and then we're going to up the price X amount of percent on you in a year when this program ends. It just, I would rather it be something more permanent than to be promotional. Now, does it matter, uh, Tim, if this is something to kind of expose dealers to to the line if they haven't seen this before, if they're not currently a Nouveau dealer uh, or currently selling Nouveau speakers? Is this a uh, is this an effective way of getting or encouraging dealers to get their foot in the door and and, and try these speakers out? Well, I think it is, but but to Stephen's point, you start out with with the the price at a certain point, right? And he, he mentioned the fact mm-hmm. that it's temporary, so yeah. you go down you you go down the the, the design part, right? Um, and if you you have a a system you're putting in, you're working with a builder, you're working with a homeowner. And your your timeline is maybe it's six months to a year, right? You're just in the in the architectural yeah. phases. In a year, will that price be here? Who knows, right? So you you can't exactly go in unless you know unless you know you guys start specking it and say, you know what, I'm I'm just going to price this based on list and not worry about this the the rebate. And if I get it, cool. If I don't, 
Um, but I'm always a little bit wary anytime somebody does a, a temporary, um, hey, here's some cash back to try our product. I have no problem, you know, giving giving you guys um, uh, demo gear, right? Ship ship the speakers to you guys. Put them in, right? What do they sound like? Are they decent? Are they worth uh, you guys putting into your systems? Mm -hmm. And if they're not, I, I don't think any amount of rebate uh, on the market is going to get you guys to put in bad speakers just because you're getting some money back. I think you'd be well, I would, I, would, I would like to, Tim, I agree with almost everything you said ex until you got to that very last part because I can tell you there are some terrible speakers on the market that people are putting in because they're cheap. You know, yes, but I, how many I times, have, go, go ahead, Matt. Well, I, I just, I had this conversation with a uh, security integrator that has been working on a project that we're also working on. And, you know, he's expanding into Resi and we keep having these, Discussions because he always wants to know what we're selling, what you know, what we as Omega are, are are selling and putting in. And every time I, you know, have that conversation and tell him, you know, ballpark what retail is on them, he, he just laughs and he's like, "Oh, you should see these ones. I got these ones that are from this knockoff Chinese company. And they're great, and I can get in and out of the door for you know next to nothing. And my clients love me." And every time that conversation comes up, I always hit him back with the, "And that's fantastic, because you do that, and then." I don't know, six months, a year down the road, when those speakers blow or die or just disintegrate, I get a call from your client who's pissed off at you and then kind of pissed off at me because he thinks the whole industry is as dumb as you, selling him some crap that isn't going to last. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, I had that conversation. That's what I was ask both of you. I mean, yes, there are, there are folks who put junky speakers in, but how many times do they get rehired, right? Oh, never. Um, you know, the, oh, well, no, hold on. It, it depends on the clientele, and I think that's that's becoming a big uh, differentiating factor anymore. There's so much turmoil in you know North America, just in general. Um, there are a lot of clients who kind of want the world and can't pay for any part of it, and they're willing to buy something cheap as long as it's cheap, and they'll pay for it three or four times. Now, those are not my clients as a rule. Uh, Steven, I know, you know, kind of your demo and your, your clientele, they're not your clients either. Um, but there are, I, I think we, I think we'd be very surprised at how many people are okay with inferior sounding stuff with questionable installs, because to be honest, they don't know any better. Totally agree. I, I, what we run into constantly is, you know, well, my friend can do this, or I know a guy that can do this, and he can get it for this price. And why is this guy telling me it's a thousand, and you're telling me it's three thousand? And you know, we see it all the time. It's becoming more and more prevalent, uh, not just in the audio side, but also in the uh, CCTV, the surveillance oh, yeah. side. Yep. Um, people go to Sam's Club, Walmart, whatever, and they see these cameras, and they're like, "Oh, I just saw." eight cameras and a DVR for $400. Why are you charging me? You know, I just quoted the system 16 IP camera, three megapixel system. Everything installed, everything was about eight grand. And the, um, the client came to me and said, I want really nice stuff. Uh, these are the, this is the kind of image quality I want. We walked the premises. I came back with the price and he's going to do the project. But the first thing he said was, Man, I swear I just read online where I could get 16 cameras and a DVR for like $2,000, and I had to have that conversation. So 
And you, you know, don't have thing, to deal with snow. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> well, no, we don't, thank goodness. Uh, but, well, what's about what's every two or three years? And it shuts the whole state down. But um, the, here's the thing, back to the original conversation about, you know, products. Tim, Tim actually hit the nail on the head when he said, you know, when we introduce a new product, it's a six-month cycle minimum. Mm-hmm. You know, I picked up a new product line. I just did this recently. I'm switching from a speaker line over to almost exclusively doing Origin Acoustics. And the problem is, is I've got two very large six-figure projects that we're working on. Both of those projects were already specced in this other speaker line. So the guys at Origin are like, hey, we're waiting on these big orders. And I told them, hey, guys, you know, you, you caught me right in, a, right in between. So we're doing some small orders, but... To pick up a speaker line, that's that's the something the client sees all the time. So no, a cheap price is not going to do it for me. If I need reputation, I need sound quality. Yeah, a good discount is great. I'm not going to argue with a good price, but goodness gracious, man, don't tell me that it, this is good for six months or it's good for a year and then expect me to pick up your speaker line. That's just not a long enough life cycle. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, moving on. <laughs> Uh, we've got a report uh, or an article from Aviate Network blah, blah, uh, talking about AES, and they're holding their first international conference on audio for uh, virtual reality. Now we know AES. Uh, our good friend Bradford Ben is uh, one of their uh, teachers, professors, uh, however you want to uh, call him. Professor. It. He's Bradford. He'd call him a professor. Oh, don't call him a professor. We'll never hear the end of it. He doesn't watch the Resi show. It's That's okay. true. <laughs> but anyways, um, they are, as I, as I stated, they're going to be doing uh, their conference on audio for VR. Um, is this something that matters to us uh, in the Resi world? Is this something that we should care about uh, when it comes to virtual reality? Is this something that you know residential integrators are actually seeing or getting any any interest in? Um, Tim, I know you're not uh, really integrating, but what's your what's your take on that? Do you see any value for this, uh, for for VR and AR in the residential space uh, as a whole? Actually, I think I, I think I see a bigger a bigger space for VR in residential more so than commercial. Um, really? Uh, just because you look at the use case. Um, you're not going to see uh, corporate America putting on virtual reality glasses or you know VR headsets, not anytime soon. Um, some instances in education, but but they're very they're very uh, specific uh, and localized. In the home, though, you have things like virtual reality gaming. You have mm-hmm. virtual reality movies and um, and augmented reality shows where um, the people are producing content. That if you look at it one way is is producing providing you one form of entertainment and you put on a VR headset and it's giving you a totally different experience. That right there is is what's kind of exciting to me for for VR and the AES stepping in and saying okay let's start putting together some standards. I mentioned in the first story, um, lots of smart people have said you don't have good video without good audio. Same mm-hmm. thing with VR. Uh, and that's why I kind of like the fact that AES is stepping up and saying, hey, let's put together some standards. Let's put, let's put together some guidelines on as we while you guys are creating this really great groovy content, let, let's keep in mind that the audio has to has to maintain a certain level as well. 
Yeah, definitely. Stephen, are you getting uh, are you getting any interest from your clients in this realm? No, not even as no one's even mentioned it. But the reason why I think it's important to resi guys more so than commercial guys is because we need to be that guy. We need to be the expert on technology. If you're walking, if you're in your client's home and they come to you and they say, "Hey, what do you know about this new v, this new virtual reality stuff?" and you go, "I don't know anything about it." Now you're no longer the technology expert. And that's something that I've said in several shows. I'll say it again: is we pride ourselves on being the most educated company to most of that most of our clients have access to, and that's huge. When our clients, when your client calls you, and um, they say, I'm looking to buy a clock radio. Which brand should I get? That's when you know you've hit it out of the park. You know, these these clients, they, they trust you. Sony. <laughs> <laughs> they, they trust you. They come to you. So I'm not getting any requests for actual usage of it, but I'm mm -hmm. keeping up with it because when the day comes and a client comes to me and says, hey, my kid asked for VR for Christmas. What do you know about it? And I can answer that question. I maintain my title as the technology expert as opposed to having to defer to Google or something and, or saying I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. One thing I am concerned is I'm really concerned that VR is going to uh, – I think that VR will do more to hurt dedicated theater sales than the economy crashing. Wow. Um, I think that – yeah, it, here's the thing. If you can spend – you know, $400 a headset or $600 a headset on a VR and have all six of you be able to watch it. Now you're $3,600 into something that is not only widescreen to your viewing, but now you're, you're throwing in a different level of entertainment. I think that it could do a lot of damage to the home theater, to the dedicated theater. And that's what I'm concerned about because it's a different kind of experience. But people love their mobile devices. They love being able to pop in. They love being able to do that. So if you, it's up to us to let the client know, yeah, the audio is great. It's still in stereo. You know, yeah, it sounds great. It's in stereo. It's, yeah, the, the, the picture is really big, but there's, there's a whole other experience to using a theater. But that is my biggest concern is that being able to strap on a headset for four to six hundred dollars, and I think the price will come down substantially over the next two years, just like OLED has. But if if you can strap on a headset for four to six hundred dollars and watch something in VR or AR, um, that that deters that same client from saying, you know what, I need a hundred thirty-three inch screen so that I can really enjoy this movie. Well, if I take a seven-inch screen and put it six inches from my face. Now it looks like a 130-inch screen, and that is that is my biggest concern. Well, and I think some of that will depend on what content becomes available and how it becomes available. Just like you know, any other new new technology that comes out is, it's always you know reliant upon content being available. But no, that's a that's a really interesting take on VR. Uh, and I, I'm also I, I would I would go one step further than that statement is the 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 VR and the AR part the augmented reality part I mm -hmm. think is what's going to kill is what is what's really going to set the virtual the, the these headsets apart. It's not just the fact that yes I can I can have a big screen TV six inches you know in the size of a of a current cell phone. 
is the fact that this content can be created and, and augmented to where I am physically. You know, you can mm-hmm. geolocate. Um, there's a there's an audio book out there that um, it's called Metatropolis, and it's several stories. Um, one of those stories is surrounding this whole idea of augmented reality, and it's a game of it, it's this game that where people is or they're walking around and as they're walking around in this world in this in this in the real world, the virtual world is being served up to them through these 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 glasses. And mm-hmm. yes, they still see you. Yes, they still interact with you, but it, it's what's being served up to them, and it's how they view the world. And I think that really is is kind of where this technology not technology is headed, both with geolocating and and the the ability to serve up different t- different types of content to people based on where they are and what they're doing. Well, and I'm trying to remember uh, where it was I saw, but I saw a promo for how uh, is essentially a use case for how you could use AR while watching, you know, football or, or, or baseball or, you know, one of the sporting events. And, you know, it showed uh, two, two guys in a living room watching on a screen, but then also having all this other uh, ancillary information coming up while they're watching the screen. Well, when they look up and they, you know, reach out to, to tap on a wide receiver, all his stats come up. And you know, you look at that application, Fantasy and yes, football. that's oh my, gosh. oh my gosh, and that is still, that is still, you know, probably a year or two out from being practical and available, and you know, again, having that backbone to support that kind of network streaming. But yeah, you look at that fantasy football industry, that model, and add that level of sophistication and information to it. How many guys pay? How much money every every month or every week to play fantasy football and and bet on it and do everything else that they're doing on it? These are all the same guys that will be standing in line to get uh, a a headset and and pay for that content from NFL Mobile or whoever it is that's serving it up. Um, and I, I think that will dramatically change that. Uh, actually, it, it won't even change it. It'll just give us a whole new. Uh, kind of market segment there, but it, it's going to be very interesting to watch. Very interesting to watch. I think the technology. I think that the VR and AR technology has its best use in engineering and medical fields. Um, I'm not super excited about it in the home, and and just purely because you're strapping yourself. Basically, you're you're putting this on. You're strapping yourself into a an environment where you're separated from the world. Uh, but I have seen the applications in the medical field where doctors are able to go in and do microscopic surgeries uh, because they have these goggles on and do even nerve ending repair and things like that. So it's there are some definite things and engineers being able to put buildings together and, and determine whether or not they're structurally sound through the program. And I mean, there's, there's things that you can do with it, but I am, I am concerned, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about strapping people strapping themselves into this alternate world. Uh, it's, it's, uh, no, it's crazy. Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no. And, and again, it's a valid point. You know, it's, it's going to, no matter what, the future holds for AR or VR. It's definitely going to bring another change to the to the marketplace. But you know, again, look at Google Glass. 
that was touted as the new, you know, reality of having some form of AR on you, and it filled really, really fast. So this will be interesting to watch, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. But that is all the time we have for Resi Week this week. I'm hoping I'm not too over, but that's what editors are for. It'll be fun. So thanks for joining us, Stephen. It was great to have you. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, ProAudio underscore GA on Twitter. They can find me at ProAudioGeorgia.com. Um, you, can, you can basically find me anywhere. Just Google me, Stephen Bronner. Just like my man John Siaka said. Google I do not me. want to Google you, man. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn, um, Facebook. Uh, I'm all over the place. So reach out to me if you have any questions. And I look forward to hearing from you. Excellent. And Tim, we all kind of know where to find you. But this the, is weird being on this side of the desk with is. you on a podcast. It's cool. I'm not going to lie. This is the second time in a month I've done this. Don and, really? And I was on Don and Kelly's uh, oh, AV yeah. Social. It was pretty cool. That was fun, too. Well, they're better hosts than I am. Well, they, so. they are. They're they're yeah. much better. Um, but Thanks. the My website actually the web the website the that the website that Matt made uh, aviation.tv. So uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's TD Tim David Albright. But at this point, I'm still crying that the Blues uh, are out of the hockey playoffs. So yeah, your your Twitter feed's not very exciting. Yeah. Right oh, now. and I'll, I'll be at Infocom next week. So there you go. Yeah, and so will I. Uh, so you can find me at uh, pretty much anywhere at Matt D. Scott, definitely on Twitter and Instagram and all the other fun stuff. Um, you will also find me at Infocom next week. We have a very, very busy schedule uh, slated for that show. So if any of the Resi guys are moonlighting in commercial or vice versa, definitely come check out the show. Check out our booth. Uh, what's our booth number again, Tim? And is it Nancy, 2821. Yes, N2821. Uh, we've got some really, really cool stuff going on in that booth as well as live versions of uh, many of our shows. Uh, but for more episodes of this show, please check out avnation.tv and you can follow Avnation on Twitter at TV as well. For uh, all of us here at Resi Week, have a good week. Oh, yeah.